Boy, the hymns are hitting home this morning, aren't they? I've held back tears like four times, but James Gallion got choked up last week, so it's okay. Um, many of you will remember with fondness our passage through the book of Mark. For, uh, it took about a couple of years to go through uh, Mark. And, you know, one of the most gripping accounts of all the Gospels is Jesus wrestling in prayer on the night that he was going to be betrayed. He, of course, was aware of the physical anguish that was going to uh, occur to him. He was very much aware, aware that he had to be pierced through for their transgressions. But the humiliation, uh, the, the betrayal of people that he loved uh, was just overwhelming. And Jesus, in a sense, wanted to avoid that. And in that night in Gethsemane, he prayed, and it says, we understand that he did this three different times. He prayed something like what we have in the account of Mark in verse 36 of chapter 14. Abba, Father, Daddy, Father, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you will. And he went back and prayed those things three different times. Well, it wasn't the Father's will to spare him. It wasn't the Father's will to spare him. And part of it is the principle that we're going to uh, learn today in 2 Corinthians and chapter uh, 12 is that power is perfected in weakness. And there was no greater weakness that we've ever experienced on planet Earth than the Son of God dying on a wooden cross. But what was the result of that? Well, the author of Hebrews tells us in chapter 5, In the days of his flesh, he offered up prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience for the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. So God, in a sense, said no. To Jesus' prayer. And because of that, we could have eternal salvation. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 today, verses 5 through 10, the Apostle Paul says he prayed three times, like Christ, that God would remove a great trial from his life, a great thorn in the flesh. And God said, no, because power is perfected in weakness. And at the very core of the very being of every Christian, that's what we want. We want to be more perfected into the image of Christ, become more like Him, no matter the cost. And over time, you learn that that perfection doesn't usually come with success. It comes with weakness and pain and suffering. And my hope today for all of us who are going through weakness and pain and suffering is that we'll go to school on Jesus... And we'll go to school on the Apostle Paul and that we will see that we can be perfected through our weaknesses. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do come before you, God, with all of our weaknesses. Lord, uh, I remember some years ago, a consultant came into the church and told us that if we implement some of these things that would build community within our church and that would help uh, promote more love, that we're going to pay a price through suffering and we have, and we are, and we will. But Lord, what we see from that is holiness and newness of life and devotion to teaching and vigor. 
So I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to understand your perspective, which should be our perspective on the thorns of our flesh, the trials and tribulations of our life. And we thank you so much that as we open up Holy Scripture, we see weak men and women who've become strong and perfected through the trials and the temptations that they struggle through. Let us be in that number today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to read the verses, just five uh, different verses. I'm going to read the verses in uh, their entirety here. And I don't have a home group's helps for you today. Um, I, I blame, uh, I blame uh, uh, the ability to get paper because of COVID. Actually, I've just forgot to do the uh, home group's help today. But I will give you the outline after I read this, uh, this passage. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12, verses 5 through 10. God says, the Apostle Paul writes, um, I'm sorry, let me give you a little background here. Remember, he has just, he's been talking about his weaknesses and all of his struggles. And he's going over against the false apostles who preach kind of a, a prosperity theology of, uh, of wealth and happiness and this kind of thing. And, and that they're the examples of that. Therefore, you ought to pay them lots of money to speak. And Paul says, let me tell you about my weaknesses. And he just goes on and on about the difficulties and trials. But he ends with an experience of him being taken up into the third heaven, actually being transported into heaven. Uh, and now he's, uh, and he's kind of following up on that, some of the, the things he has learned from that. And this, is, ends up, this passage ends up being sort of the pinnacle of this letter. On behalf of such a man, I will boast. But on my behalf, I will not boast, except in regard to my weaknesses. For if I do wish to boast, it will be foolishness. For I will be speaking the truth, but I refrain from this so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears in me. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, that is him being taken up into heaven. For this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there, uh, there I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that I might that it might leave me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We're going to look at five different uh, here, parts here, more or less based on the verses. We're going to see that we're perfected in weakness in verses 5 through 6, perfected in humility in verse 7. We're perfected in prayer in verse 8. We're perfected in grace in verse 9 and perfected in contentment in verse 10. But so first of all here, we are perfected in weakness here. So Paul kind of expands on this result of being caught up into paradise, hearing inexpressible words. And he's going to continue this theme about boasting about weaknesses. Now, Paul hates boasting. Uh, most boasting, most worldly boasting is based on pride. And Paul understands that that is, a that is not a virtue, that is a vice in the Christian realm. In the Roman realm, that was a virtue, right? So humility is the, the virtue of a Christian because humility was one of the great principles of Jesus Christ who emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant. 
works, but he finds boasting necessary in order to defend the gospel, defend his credentials against these false apostles here. Uh, but, he, but he's still uncomfortable with it, so he uses this kind of passive third person here. You know, I'll talk about such a man, you know, this kind of thing, because he's still a little uncomfortable with the I, 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 me, 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 I, 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 me, me, me stuff that is so often characteristic of, uh, of prideful, arrogant people. But he is going to boast about his weaknesses. One commentator says this, Trouble is the truest test of a person's spiritual character. When adversity strikes, the superficial veneer of peace and happiness is stripped away, revealing what is really at his heart. Isn't that true? You want to know about where you stand with the Lord, let some difficulty come into your life and you see how you go through that. Now, it's not that you're a robot or a Vulcan or something. You're going to be affected by trouble. You should be, otherwise you wouldn't be human. But where do you end up? I can recall some years ago in Columbia, there was a, a young girl in her 20s who was coming to our church very regularly, very faithfully and everything. And her old cat died. And when her old cat died, she was so angry at God, she refused to go to church anymore. Grief for the cat. Grief for the cat. It was even an old cat. But that showed you where her priorities really were. That was an excuse, basically, to write off God. There was other bitterness and, and things that were going on there. So what he's doing here, he's boasting about his suffering because what he's doing, in a sense, he is trying to turn the false teaching of these false teachers on its head. They're out there talking about, oh, yeah, if you're a Christian, you're going to, need to, you're going to have all the success. You're going to have all this prosperity, perhaps all this wealth. This is the theme in America today, a heresy that we're transporting to other nations on the earth, that all you got to do is be a Christian, and then you'll be rich and have all of these answers, because that's God's blessing upon you. You can't be going through difficult trials. You can't be diseased if you are a real Christian. Paul says, I'll tell you what, let me tell you about my weaknesses. Let me tell you about my suffering. Let me tell you about how difficult life has been for me since I became a Christian. And he's turning their doctrine up on top of their head. And Paul, if any of us are even awake in life, we know Paul's right, right? Any of us who've been trained by the difficulties, the trials, the tribulations of this life, we can affirm, we can say an amen to the Apostle Paul. I don't know where these people get this. What planet are they living on? That, you, that God owes you all these blessings. He says here, so that they will, no one will credit me with more than he sees or fears uh, in me. So in a sense, he's basically, uh, he, he is proving the power of God by pointing to how God uh, has stricken him, in a sense, with difficulties, but how he has given him the power to get through those difficulties and ends up being a better man as a result of those difficulties. And if you think about this, what's happening with Paul, he's, bringing, he's talking to you about a situation in his life that has helped bring in a sense of humility. I imagine Paul struggled with humility. I mean, he was an alpha dog, right? He was top of his class, a genius, articulate. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the toast of the town. So he, would, he was extremely, I guarantee he was competitive to the nth degree. Hated to lose, always wanted to win. You can just see that in his, in his character. So God knew that pride would be a problem if he took him and let him see a bit of heaven. 
So he gets on to this point that how he was perfected in humility in verse 7 here, that it was given to him a thorn of the flesh. Now, y'all, if you've studied this passage, there's just conjecture about what this thorn of the flesh was. Most people seem to think it was a physical ailment, a physical difficulty. People have suggested uh, eye disease, migraines, malaria, epilepsy, rheumatism, uh, intestinal disorders, everything else. But those are all just conge- conjectures. Uh, but, um, but, but it was some kind of a difficulty here. Uh, one commentator uh, remarks that that word thorn could actually be better translated a stake. Literally a stake driven through his flesh in order to give him humility. Now, the other thing that could be is that messenger actually is that word angel, that it could have been some kind of demonic force uh, that was tempting him, uh, that was from the devil, because it it would have been a demon if it was from the devil and that sort of thing. Other people think maybe it's people like the false teachers he's dealing with. To me, it reads like a physical ailment, a a difficulty that he is uh, going through here. Uh, And, and, you know, it's in, and that, that difficulty is helping him from not exalting himself. He does have the advantage of God has told him why he's got this. We don't have that advantage, but we do in a sense because we can learn from the Apostle Paul. Why are we going through some particular difficulty, whatever it might be? So what I like about this is because we don't know. He didn't say, yeah, boy, it's glaucoma. <laughs> yeah, it's diabetes. Yeah, it's lameness in my foot, whatever What I like about this is that each one of us, because of this, we can fill in the blank with our thorn, with our stake, without doing damage to the text. Now, he had kind of, he was an apostle, so he had super spiritual stuff that he was dealing with, uh, persecutions and stuff. Most of us are not persecuted. But I would submit to you that based on this reading, that, that, the difficulties of life count here because there's nothing more humbling than going through illness, the heartbreak of children, whatever it might be, old age, whatever it might be. So personally, I'm grateful we don't know what it is because that allows us to to see ourselves in this situation, right? Whatever it is, it came through Satan but ultimately was from God. And that's real important to understand. That the devil is the God's devil, and he will permit things uh, that the devil will do. You see this in the example of Job, right? Job didn't know there was a, there was a meeting in the court of God, and the devil asked permission to, to punish Job. Uh, Jesus tells Peter that the devil has asked permission to sift him. That same kind of thing, folks, is going on with you. There are times when the devil wants to have at you. There's times when God says no. There's God times when God says yes. Because whatever you're struggling with, like Paul, and this is one of these themes that you can see this throughout this passage, it's absolutely essential you go through that. You will not be perfected the way you should be perfected unless you go through the trial, the tribulation, the difficulty that you're going through right now. And we need to know that. We need to know that. Otherwise, we'll wallow in self-pity or bitterness or whatever it might be. And he says he, he did this to keep him from exalting himself. This was absolutely essential that he went through this thorn in the flesh. 
he had, would have been puffed up had he not done this. I mean, this would have been us too, right? I mean, all right, so Josiah Ricewig is going to teach on limited atonement tonight, right? Had we had Paul's experience, wouldn't it be like us after Josiah teaches on limited atonement? Come on, Josiah, yeah, I tell you, that was a great lesson, Josiah, on limited atonement. You know what that reminds me of? Reminds me of the time I was taken up into heaven. And boy, I heard some inexpressible words. I'd love to tell you, not allowed to. It's just between me and God. I mean, can't you see that? And if you were a winner, like Paul was used to being, certainly in his youth, we would do that. We'd all be like that guy that, you know, the guy that was the star of the Gaffney football team and 1972 and peaked at age 17 and comes back every Friday night cheering on, you know, the Gaffney football team, you know, and, you know, this isn't football. We played with rocks and on lava, you know, you know, you don't know anything. Our cheerleaders were feral cats. You know nothing by the, I mean, just be one thing after another, right? We'd be the same way. Well, it's essential that God knocks us down and sometimes a lot. And the thing is that with this kind of text, we can take, we can have peace about what we're going through. So basically, Paul is, uh, Paul is, is pointing this out, and he's actually turning the super apostles' idea on their head. They have this, what, what, what theologians call an over-realized eschatology. You're supposed to be experiencing the pleasures of heaven now on this earth. Again, I don't know where this guy, these people get this thing from, but that's what they teach. And he's saying, now, let me tell you, let me tell you, uh, if you really want to know what, what life's supposed to be like, it could be a lot like what I'm experiencing right now. Lots of thorns in, in the flesh, lots of difficulties that are going on here. But he doesn't like it. So what does he do? We see here, perfected in prayer, verse 8, concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. Isn't that interesting? Paul can remember three times. I think I would have prayed 330 times at this point in time. But he specifically sat down three times and just begged God, implored God, take away this pain. Y'all, that's important because this is a truth about this passage. Paul was not a masochist. There's this creepy weirdness there, and it's been in church history, that, that I'm going to punish myself. I'm going to abuse myself so that I can experience more of God. That is not called for. Now, fasting and some things are called for, self-sacrifice, we understand that. But the idea of a monk going around and, and beating themselves with a scourge is simply not biblical. That's that, that's that, that kind of legalism. You see that in Islam and, you know, uh, things like that, uh, where, where you're, trying to, you're trying to earn God's favor by, by being miserable, you know, uh, Anyway, so he said, implored the Lord three different times, which is brilliant because that Jesus implored the Lord also three different times, right? Then you see it's perfected in grace in verse uh, 9 here. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. So the, God did not answer Paul by removing his, his pain here. The pain was spiritually productive. And in Paul's heart, that's what he wants more than anything. He would rather be spiritually productive than in physical comfort. 
And it really reveals Paul's true character. He, in a sense, now embraces this thorn because he realized it was essential in making him the man that he needed to be, to be more and more into the image of Christ. But don't you love that idea? This is a quote from the Lord. And the idea that grace is sufficient. Why is grace sufficient? Because his love and his character and his care, which is revealed to you in Scripture, is enough to get you through. And enough for you to have a victory over it. It can be anywhere from cancer to loneliness. But God has a purpose, and that purpose is, is essential. Now, do you seek treatment? Do you seek companionship? Absolutely. Absolutely. But God has ordained some of these circumstances in our life to bring us to a point where we are more reliant on Him and being more productive uh, in Him. But in a sense, Paul prayed for this, and God said no. And we don't like that. That bothers us, right? We don't like the no's. But you've got to have a long-term view here. How many times have you prayed desperately for situa situations? And then years later, you're thinking, man, am I glad God didn't answer that prayer, <laughs> right? And I think Paul recognizes that early. I think part of the thing, too, is that Paul has a special, a newer intimacy with the Lord because of this. A more reliance a more dependence on grace. Paul's one of these guys that could have done it on his own. He really had his act together. And uh, yet he's not depending on his, his own ability here. To kind of paraphrase, the men on Monday nights have been going through till we have faces. And I want to kind of paraphrase an idea there with, uh, that kind of was brought out in the end of the book, that God is the answer to prayer. When he says no, he is still the answer to prayer. And an intimacy and a love for him far surpasses us having a clean bill of health or all the money we want or whatever it might be. This idea of grace being sufficient. Grace is mentioned 155 times in the New Testament. It is the word that would sum up Christianity. It is the word that makes us different from all the other religions. Again, if you've ever had the opportunity like some of us have to go to Jerusalem, the bishops just got back. You, you just see these traditions steeped in legalism. You see these Orthodox Jews wearing this, this uh, outfit that is determined that they have to wear heavy black long coats, white shirts, heavy woolen hats, long beards and everything. It's 100 degrees in the shade. You see the women, the Muslim women dressed look like a tent from head to toe while their husbands are out wearing gym shorts. It's really kind of hypocritical, to be honest with you. It's irritating. And you just, your heart kind of breaks at this legalism. We don't have that. We don't have that. I mean, my goodness, look at the way y'all are dressed. No, I'm kidding. But, uh, I mean, can we get some standard? No, I'm kidding. It's, it is, uh, for those back at home, it's a heat wave in South Carolina right now. So we're excused. But don't you love that term, power is perfected in weakness? Isn't that counter to everything you learn on planet Earth? Power is perfected in weakness. This is the summit. This is the great main point of 2 Corinthians and all that Paul's been talking about with his boasting and all that. Like he told Philippians, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And, and you know, one of the, this is a lesson a lot of us learn early on in our Christian life. How many of you came to Christ because of a crisis in your life? 
because of some major difficulty, some terrible thing that happened. And you, you sought out grace and, and found God uh, because of this crisis in your life. Now, a lot of us didn't. We just grew up in Christian families, and that's even better, you know. But a lot of us come to Christ. So we know that early on, but then we sort of lose it later. And then we get mad at God and we get all bent out of shape and we get embittered towards him. And we're going to take our Bible and go home, you know, because we have more crisis in our life. When it was a crisis that brought you to the Lord in the first place. That's another reason, evangelically speaking, that you ought to be around people who are going through crisis. They are looking for answers. And the earth, the world, the culture, America doesn't answer those questions that they're asking. God does. I love that passage in, uh, in Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 2. But now, thus says the Lord, the Creator, O Jacob, He who formed you in the womb, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. You know, one of the things I love about the Bible is it... it it, it points out real people in real life situation. They're just no perfect saints in Scripture. Daniel might be the exception. Daniel would tell you he's a sinner. All right? We, we just don't have any sins recorded by Daniel. But there's plenty of sins recorded in all the other ones, which really brings, brings authority and credibility to Scripture, right? You know, if Peter wasn't consumed with the truth of God, you think all that stuff written about Peter, he would let that go through the editors, you know? Well, let's not say I denied him three times, maybe one and a half. Maybe it was just a mistake. You know, I was tired. You know, I mean, he would qualify to death. He said, nope, that's what happened. Write it. Tell him. That's what happened. Well, Pilgrim's Progress is that way, too. You know, and um, if you've not read Pilgrim's Progress, you're in profound sin. No, you know, uh, you've just missed out. I would encourage you to read Pilgrim's Progress. But one thing I love about Pilgrim's Progress is Christian He's going through the the, the pilgrimage in this life to ve meet the celestial city. He's leaving uh, sin and death, the city of destruction, to get the celestial city. And he just, it's like, you, he just messes up all the time. You're tense because he's just going to do some, another stupid thing as you're reading this passage about Christian. And yet, God keeps showing him grace and he keeps making it. Now, in this passage I'm about to read to you, he is on, right on the other side of the celestial city. He can see heaven. He's there. But there's this great river in between. They've got to go through the river to get to the celestial city. And I love this because Christian is scared. He's scared. He's not some sterling perfect saint who just charges through and walks on top of the water. He's afraid. Now... Between them and the great river, there was no bridge to go over. And the river was very deep. And the sight of the river, the pilgrims were stunned. The, the person who's with them right now is hopeful. Then the men who went out and said, you must go through the river. You cannot enter the city at the gate. Christian sort of panics. I'll skip some of this. As he's going through the river and hopeful is trying to hold him up. These troubles and distresses that you are going through in these waters are not a sign that God has forsaken you. But hopeful is telling Christian this, uh, uh, but are sent to try you to see if you will call to mind all the goodness that you have received from him. You are being tested to see if you will rely on him in your distress. And I saw in my dream that Christian was in a bewildered stupor for a while. Hopeful spoke to Christian, encouraging him to be of good cheer, reminding him that Jesus Christ would make him whole. 
With that, Christian shouted out with a loud voice, Oh, I see him again. And he tells me, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. Then they both took courage and crossed the river. Ecclesiastes 7, 14 says this, In the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other. Rather than being bitter that God allows these bad things to happen in your, it happen in your life, it ought to cause you to be comfort because we know from Scripture that God causes all things to work together for good. So this is what Paul says here. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses. Remember, he started off this letter uh, some months ago when we started our journey through 2 Corinthians. He said this, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, in chapter 1, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we are despaired even of our life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we could not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Now, y'all, if, if the Apostle Paul gets frightened, anxious, and depressed, it's probably okay that we go through that a little bit. But don't stay there. Don't stay there. That initial reaction is perfectly human. God understands that. But what he's trying to do is grow you out of that so the next situation that comes up, it, you'll be, in a sense, better able to deal with it, right? He says, so the power of Christ may dwell in me. He, he would rather have all these weaknesses as long as he can have the power of Christ. And as long as it's the power of Paul, you're not going to see the power of Christ. Again, uh, he talks about the, the, uh, what suffering was like to the Corinthians, chapter 4. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing, surpassing greatness of the power will be of God, not of ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring about the body, the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. And then he concludes with verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord will raise us with Jesus and will present us with you. It's just, uh, again, our religion is dependent on this principle that power is perfected in weakness. There's nothing more weak than a crucified criminal. And yet, Jesus Christ is ruling the universe. Philippians 2, being found in appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So the name of Jesus, will, uh, every knee will bow and those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why did Jesus have to die the weakness of the cross? It was absolutely essential. If he hadn't, you would be doomed. So he wants the power of Christ to dwell. I love this idea. That idea of dwell, that's kind of borrows from the idea of tabernacled in the Old Testament. The God dwelling with the people of God here. It's also brought up in, in John when he says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And what he's saying here is that when you are going through suffering, Christ is tabernacling, tenting, dwelling with you. He will help you get through it. It's his plan. It's essential for your spiritual maturity. And not just for yourself, but for the rest of us. I mean, you need to think about everybody else every now and then too, right? Those of you who have suffered a lot, when we go through a similar suffering, you're the ones we seek out. 
We need some help getting through this thing. It's so interesting. You know, I, I am moved weekly by the fact that uh, I have been called by the Lord to preach this, the gospel. And that this church frees me up to be able to spend that time in, 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 uh, in, the, in reading scripture. And everything. But this week in particular, this passage was so important to me. On Monday, I got diagnosed with cirrhotic arthritis. Uh, I've had symptoms for a while. Uh, Took me months to get into the rheumatologist, and I got it. And uh, there's some treatments and some things like that, and I don't want to be too into this. uh, But uh, I may likely just get sicker the older I get. And this was the passage this week. This is the, so I literally, I've got a thorn in my side. I feel it, you know, I've got fatigue. I've got eye issues. I've got muscle soreness and things like that. My future may include a, a wheelchair. And this was the passage this week. And I got to think, it, it just the talk came over and going, it's absolutely essential that I have arthritis. Jack Mickelson has the same disease. You know, when you get a disease, you look for a famous guy that has a disease. Me and Jack are homies. And uh, so that's kind of nice, you know. So what's yours, you know? And I thought, God, why is this so essential? Maybe I'll have more sympathy for infirmed people. Maybe I'll be more merciful with people who can't get around. Maybe I'll show more mercy for people who drive 25 miles an hour in the left lane. It's not likely to happen, but it is possible. And it certainly would be just, you know. And I thought, praise God for this. I needed this sermon as much as y'all did this week, right? And then we are perfected, of course, in in commitment, verse 10. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults. It's like Paul's like, it's a cheer here, you know? It's It's a song. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I love this idea, contentment. That is the secret to joy, contentment. Y'all know that I'm now on my fifth reading of the rare jewel of Christian contentment, Jeremiah Burroughs. Uh, I would recommend that book for everybody. We'll order 50 of them if you want to, and you read it every morning. Uh, You you may not have, I tend towards discontentment, so I have to read it every morning. But he's like all those wonderful Puritan writers. He just slaps you in the face and smiles at the same time. You know, Well, this, the Holy Spirit does with it. But James says the same thing. James 1, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect perfection result. You may be complete, perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. So Paul has gone through weaknesses, insults, distresses, persecutions, and difficulties. Four of those five would happen to every one of us. I mean, we are persecuted, but just not so much like he was. Hey, anybody here got some weaknesses? Ever been insulted? Anybody got some distresses? How about some difficulties? Well, we can be well content with those things. And, God, and when that happens, when you go, that God pitches his tent upon you. Christ dwells with you. Here's the fact. We all think if God just gives us everything we want, we'll be really superstars for God. It just, I mean, every now and then, I guess people get that. That's just not the way it's going to usually work. 
And you know the other beautiful thing about God's grace? Those of you who've really sinned and really blown it, sometimes that's one of the most important lessons. He will use even your sin to make you more holy. Ain't that something? But God is building his house with broken bricks. And that's a truth we can embrace. We don't seek after it, but we bless the Lord when we go through it. But it's in Christ. It's an important qualifier. You know, you're not out there going, trying to go create problems. Trust, you don't have to create problems. They're going to find you anyway, right? And, of course, Christ is the exa- example. And he says here, for when I am weak, I am strong. This is the paradox of power. One commentator says, no one in the kingdom of God is too weak to experience God's power, but many are too confident in their own strength to experience God's power. Jesus' prayer to God was answered in the same way that Paul's prayer was answered. No, (laughs) no, my power is perfected in weakness. I have a greater plan beyond what you're going through right now. And it, it is essential that you go through this difficulty, through this trial. So if God said no to Jesus' prayer and God says no to Paul's prayer, he's probably going to say no to your prayer. But we know this, we can have a confidence that it's absolutely essential for what we're going through. Try to get out of it. Seek some relief. But don't turn that into an idol. And don't turn that into your hope. Romans 8 says this, We know that God causes all things to work together for good, for those who love God and those who are called according to His purposes. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these He predestined, He also called, and those who He called, He also justified, and those who He called, justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? You're going to make it through the river to the celestial city. He will be with you in the waters. He will dwell with you in your trials, your temptations, and your difficulty because he is perfecting you. We know he is because he cannot lie. He says he is. And one day... The trials will be gone. Even the temptations will be gone. And we will see God face to face. And we will see that all of that, all the difficulties we've went through, were essential for us to be perfected to the glory of God. Father, I pray that you would help us to take this to home. That you would comfort us with it and you would help us to comfort others. Help us to... Uh, to take it in a sober way. We don't want to be flippant or light about the trials and tribulations of difficulties that people go through. But also, Lord, help us just to see your wonderful hand of love. Even if we experience total rejection from the world and total physical disability. Help us to know that your hope for us, your plan for us is to perfect us, and it just takes difficulties for that to happen. But it also causes us to long for the world to come. And that is where we have our hope. So until we reach that time, until we make it through to the celestial city, help us to be cheerful and content with the difficulties of this life, knowing that our God reigns and our God loves. In Christ's name, amen.